Father, thank you that you have given us your word, that we have it uh, accessible to us, that we have it in our, in our, in our language, uh, in our heart language, we have access uh, to, to your revelation, God. That is a gift that we often take for granted, but we ask uh, that you would right now help us to uh, appreciate the fact that we have access to your word. Uh, we ask that, that you would help us in, in, in this moment, God, that, that we would hear from you. We know that when your word is opened up and it is dealt with faithfully, that it is you speaking to us. And so we ask that, that you would speak to us, that you would uh, help me to speak what is true and to not say anything that is false. We ask that you would help our hearts, uh, Jesus, to be uh, good soil to receive uh, the seed of your word. Good soil that is not distracted by the cares of this life, but good soil uh, that, is, that is prepared by your spirit to receive uh, the word uh, of scripture and the word of the gospel, and then to bear fruit um, in response, Lord. So would you come and would you make our, our minds and our hearts good soil for your word today? Jesus, this, is a, this text for us is good news, just as every text in your word is good news. And so God, help us to see it that way. Help us to be humble and contrite, trembling under the authority and the goodness uh, of your word this morning. Would you do that for your glory? Would you do that for our good, that we would be shaped into uh, faithful disciples who love you and who love others well? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know if you have, uh, if you guys have uh, friends like this, um, but, but friends, or maybe this is you, that can pull off uh, straight-laced humor and sarcasm in total deadpan. When they say something, you don't know if it's a joke or if it is serious news that you need to deal with. Um, I have a friend like this, and, and I also do this to my wife a lot, uh, where she's like, I don't know if you're serious or I need to call for help, or is that a joke, or do we really need to talk about this? So sometimes she's just like, I don't know, I don't know what, what you want me to do with that. And so it comes down to this, this concept of, are you playing, are you playing around, or are you serious? And the, the words of Jesus that we're going to look at today, this, this, this uh, passage that is often called uh, the Great Commission, uh, is one of those moments where if you actually look at how we respond to this passage, you would think that we think Jesus was playing. When we look at Jesus' words and what he commands his disciples to do, based on the way most of us live most of the time, or most of the church lives most of the time, you would think that we think he was playing that he was joking, that, that he was suggesting, or that he was bored and needed some, something to fill in a couple verses in Matthew and said, well, let me just say this, it'll fill in and it'll be a nice little paragraph, so let me just, let me just speak it. But there's much for us to look at in this text and to understand that Jesus was not merely playing, but Jesus is authorizing and commanding something. That Jesus, when he speaks these words, is in his heart, full of faith, full of seriousness, full of authority, and is calling us into a new way of living and being. So we need to understand when we look at this text that Jesus is not playing, but rather inviting us into something that is good for us and good for the world. This is a part of our, um, our series where we're, we're talking about becoming together, that, that God is actually not just calling uh, 
our church or churches in the city to just be a, a community for the sake of community, but he's actually calling us together around a cause, that he's calling us to become something together through faith in Jesus. And so we've looked at a couple identities of what God is making us together. We looked at he's making us people who are anchored into the gospel. Last week we looked at God is making us into a, a people who live as family because through Jesus, uh, the church is family. And then today we're looking at this reality that Jesus, through his grace, through, through faith in the gospel, is actually making us disciple makers. He is making us disciple makers. Can you guys say disciple makers? Great. He is making us disciple makers. Okay, so Jesus, when he says this, he is not playing. He is not deadpanned. It's not a moment of sarcasm or is he being serious? He is serious. He is inviting us into something. And let's look at these actual words and see what Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Let's look at Matthew 28, 18 through 20. This comes, obviously, at the end of uh, the Gospel of Matthew, and this is what we see. Jesus has died. He has resurrected. He has appeared to his disciples, some of whom have worshipped, others have doubted. And Jesus does this. He came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus was not playing when he said, go and make disciples. Now, Jesus, if we were to look at the context of Matthew, when Jesus first meets some of these disciples, when he first meets Simon, when he first meets Andrew, when he first meets them, he has a, he has a call to them as well. When he first meets them, he says something to them. He gives them two words, follow me. So when Jesus first meets these disciples, he encounters them on their boat, working with their nets, doing whatever. The text in Matthew, Matthew 4, 19, says Jesus comes to them and and he he calls them uh, to follow him. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So they say, oh, Jesus is kind of clever. We're fishermen. He says, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Okay, he's clever. Maybe his buzz has been building a little bit in the town. We don't know how long they talked or what that was. But all we know is that when he first met them, he said, come and follow me. And now after three years of 24-7 followship of Jesus, literally following him everywhere, watching how he walks, watching how he speaks, watching how he teaches, watching how he interprets scripture, watching how he, he deals with the religious leaders, watching how he deals with the oppressed, watching how he deals with the lepers, watching how he deals with the outcasts, after three years of following Jesus 24-7, now Jesus is telling them to go do something. His first call was to go and come and follow me, and now his call is to go make followers of me. Do you see the connection? He starts and says, come follow me. Now that they have followed him, he says, go. And what I did with you, do with others. Go, make disciples. You've been with me three years. You know the game. You know the drill. You know the details. You know the gospel. You know the teaching. Go and make disciples. Jesus was not playing when he says, go and make disciples. Now, what's interesting about this 
passage is that Jesus prefaces this call to go and make disciples. When we look at this verse, 19 is what catches our attention because there is a command there for us. The command really isn't go, but the command is really make disciples and do that whether you go or whether you stay as you are going through life, go and make disciples. Our attention is drawn to 19 because we are people who like to be told what to do so that we don't do what's wrong. But we need to pay attention to verse 18 to the preface, to what Jesus says before he gives the instructions. We're all aware of how important a preface is to understanding what comes after it. How many of you have heard from a person who has prefaced a command to you by saying not just your first name, but your middle name and your last name? That type of preface lets you know that what is about to come out of their mouth afterwards is very serious business, does it not? Anytime the middle name is pulled out, you, you turn and, and you're ready. We've heard the preface, I swear on my mother's name if you... It's serious. We know Jesus, is, one of his favorite prefaces is, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Jesus is saying, for real, for real, what I am about to tell you is important. The Apostle Paul's preference is, this is a saying of, that is trustworthy and worthy of full acceptance. Boom. It says in 1 Timothy, I am the chief of sinners, and Christ Jesus come into the world to save sinners. Right? So he lets us know, this is a statement that is true like all my other statements, but this one is important. And Jesus gives us a preface before he says, go and make disciples. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples. Jesus has all authority and then look at how he uses this authority. Go and make disciples. This is important for us to understand because some of us will look at this command, some of us will be in agreement with this command, but we will be reluctant to think about how do I live this out? Some of us will look at this command and, and, be, and have it rub up against us because this is challenging work. But when we begin to see the preface before it, the authority behind it, our view of this command becomes clearer and truer as to what is truly intended and meant for us to see in it. All authority has been given to me. Go and make disciples. Jesus has been given all authority by God the Father after his death and resurrection. And look at how Jesus wants to use that authority. He wants to use that authority to multiply himself in the lives of others, to help other people know him, trust him, and follow him, that they may be restored to God and reflect God in the world. Jesus wants to use his authority in order to bring restoration to what is broken. Think about the story of Scripture. Think about the beginning of Scripture. We see humanity dwelling in perfect harmony with God. 
walking with God in the cool of the night, naming the animals, exercising rule over the world and creation in a way that actually allows things to flourish and to be good. Everything is great, and sin enters the world in Genesis 3. And the results of sin is many, but one of the results is this, that God and humanity are fractured, are separated, are Adam and Eve are literally given the boot and kicked out of the actual presence of God. And Jesus now is saying to his disciples, go, go and preach about me. Well, what's the message of Jesus? Is it be good? Is it come to church? Is it pray more? Is it fast more? Is it give more? Is it be nice? Is it do unto others as you would have them do unto do? No, the central message of Jesus is be restored to God through his life, death, and resurrection. Jesus is commanding his disciples to go and to preach the message that puts right what was lost in the very beginning. And so Jesus is using his authority to restore what humanity lost, closeness with God a right relationship with God, intimacy with God, the knowledge that God is with us and for us despite our sins because in Christ our sins have been covered and paid for. And now we walk with him. You don't have to look far to see how people would use authority not to bring good to the world and restoration to the world, but to bring harm to others. We don't have to look far to to see examples of that, do we? We can take one look at Hollywood news over the last week, right? And we can see how people use authority and power not to bring healing and restoration, but to drive people into despair through the abuse of power and authority. But Jesus says, that's not how I operate. He uses his authority to put right what was wrong. So Jesus, with all authority in heaven and earth given to him by God the Father, as the Son of God, as the eternal Son of God who eternally existed, he leverages this authority to make disciples, to make 12 disciples, and then to unleash them to preach his good news to the world. So he gives them a mission out of his authority. This mission is important, but we need to define our terms. Jesus tells us to make what? What does he say? Make what? Disciples. How many of you would venture to make something without knowing what it is that you're trying to make? I mean, I don't know if any of you have done this where you've been hungry and there's not a lot of ingredients in the house. And so you you think, well, I could just kind of put something together. (laughs) So you're like, well, got pancake mix, got some salami, and we always have baked beans. So let's include those. And we just maybe go out, set out to make something, but we're kind of just going along for the ride. We don't actually know what it is that we're trying to make, what the end result is of our our efforts. And so if we're going to take Jesus seriously here, understanding that Jesus isn't just calling us to do something because we're bored. Jesus is calling us to do something because it glorifies God and it restores humanity whom God loves back to him. This is important work. So we need to understand if Jesus is calling us to make something, we need to know what it is that we are to be making. So it begs the question, what is a disciple? 
Disciple at its root, at its root is simply a, a learner. It's a, it's a student. It's somebody who is learning Jesus, who is learning the way of Jesus. The 12 disciples, they learned the way of Jesus by literally following him every single day for three years at least. If you find a, if you find a, a clip on YouTube, you could find a, people who are disciples of others. You can see people doing cover songs of their favorite artists, and they're disciples of those favorite artists. They're going to try to sing just like them. They're going to try to play just like them, make the same face when they hit the high note. They're going to do everything like them. They are disciples of that musician. You can see this in athletes. You can see athletes like Kobe Bryant, who is literally a disciple of Michael Jordan, all the way down to the same celebrations, the same form, sticking his tongue out like a fool, does everything like Michael Jordan because he is a disciple of Michael Jordan. He imitates the way of Michael Jordan. And Jesus is calling us to make people to be followers, imitators, learners, apprentices, students of Jesus Christ. That's what he's calling us to do. A disciple of Jesus is a learner of Jesus, and it really boils down to these three things. It boils down to a learner of Jesus who trusts Jesus and who obeys Jesus. Think about this. When Jesus first comes to, to uh, Peter and to Andrew in Matthew 4, when he first comes to them and says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, that is a crucial moment for Peter and Andrew. They have to decide, do we trust this man? To follow Jesus implies that you trust him. To be his disciple implies that you believe in him. And that is a moment where they have to say, I've got my life here, I've got my fish here, I've got my company here, I've got my family here, and this preacher man is telling me to follow him. Do I trust him enough to leave this and to go and to walk in his footsteps? So a disciple of Jesus is a person who trusts Jesus and is following him seeking to obey. That's what a disciple is. The call to make disciples. In order to make disciples, we have to ourselves be disciples. We ourselves have to be disciples. We ourselves have to have that moment that, that Peter and Andrew have where we see this was our life, and now we are stepping away from that in order to trust that Jesus is the one who restores us to God. Not our religiousness, not our irreligion, not our goodness, but Jesus through his life, death, and sacrifice alone is the one that restores us to God. To make disciples, we ourselves must be disciples. This is the work that Jesus is calling us to. And, 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 notice, and notice this, Jesus' preface again is, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Just think about this logically. If somebody with authority commissions you for a task, their authority begins to rub off on you. How many of you have ever been sent on an errand to go and do something, but you're scared to do the errand because you know the person that sent you to do the errand They've got no juice. They've got no respect. They've got no reputation. And so if, you're, uh, if, if it's not your parent that sent you to do the errand, you're, you're worried about how it's going to go. But if it's somebody in the house who, who has authority, somebody in the house who has respect, you don't care. That's why you're here, you're here with kids when they go do something in the house. Well, my mom said. I don't care what you said. My mom said. I remember uh, in high school, my, one of my friends coming into, my, coming into the opening my refrigerator in my house that I don't pay anything for. 
but it was an offense to me. This is my fridge. These are my snacks. Well, your mom said, oh, I can't fight with that. The authority rubs off. And so Jesus is authorizing his disciples to do something that, if, if left to themselves, they have no authority to do. They have no power to do. They have, they have no authorization to do. But Jesus, as the eternal son of God, his authority rubs off on his disciples because he is the one who is commissioning the work. They're not off on their own uh, uh, wisdom and jurisdiction saying, well, Jesus never said this, but let's just do it. It seems like a great idea. No, they say, Jesus told us. The one who upholds the universe is the one who told us. The one who rose from the grave is the one who told us. We've been authorized by him. We have his seal of approval on us as we go and do this work. That changes everything. Any fear that they have is now reduced. It's not gone, but it's reduced. Any wonders about what are we going to say if people say, don't do this? Well, Jesus told us to, which is exactly what they do in Acts when they're brought in before the courts. They say, what are you doing? You need to stop. And they're like, we, we got to listen to Jesus, not you. So his authority rubs off. And this is critical for us to understand because if we understand this passage in relation to Genesis 3, that Jesus is actually beginning through this to put right what is broken in the world to restore people to God, we will understand that not only is Jesus commanding us, authorizing us to do this, but he is authorizing us to do the deepest level, soul level humanitarian work that could be done in the world, helping people be restored to their creator. Jesus is authorizing Work that will not win you a Nobel Peace Prize, but work that is absolutely noble. Helping people be restored to God. Jesus is, is authorizing you to do work in the call to make disciples that will not be talked about on the news, but its effects will be talked about into eternity. Jesus is authorizing you to be a part of God's restoration work in the world. by making disciples. Now, now you understand why Jesus isn't playing around. Jesus loves the world too much to give this commission flippantly. Go make disciples if you want to. Jesus says, no, the, the world needs to know. So I'm reminding you that all my authority on heaven and earth is put and pushed towards this command, go and make disciples. Jesus was not playing when he gave this command. So now we got to talk about what this actually means. I hope that you are convinced, if you love Jesus, that there is a blip of excitement and hope and prospect that your Savior would command you to this work. I hope you see that his command to this work is absolutely tied to his love for the world. I hope if Jesus is your Savior, this puts a, 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 a bump in your heart rate, because you are eager to see your friends, the world, and the people who know Jesus walk more closely with Jesus. I hope this does that in your heart if Jesus is somebody that you know. But we have to talk about this work because, listen, we don't talk about going around and making disciples very often, do we? We don't use the language of the New Testament with people very often where we say, come and follow me as I follow Christ. We don't, we don't do that often, do we? But we ought to. 
but we don't. So we need to clarify what this means. So making disciples, what does this mean? This term discipleship, what does this mean? If you were to read every book about discipleship, you would be studying for about seven years. There has been much ink spilled on this, but we still, for all of that ink spilled, we still don't have a lot of clarity, do we? And so we've got to think about what, what in the world does this mean to make disciples, to, to do discipleship? And I want to give you this, uh, this, this definition looking from the text. Look at, look at what the, the things that Jesus says. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them all that I've commanded you, baptizing in the name of the Father, and doing this among who? All nations. Look at this. Baptizing in the name of the Father, baptism done in response to trusting in Jesus teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. And then he gives us a promise at the end. Teaching and baptizing, two things that are a part of making disciples. And I want to give us a discipleship definition that's based around this. I think these are the two, the two uh, definitions that have helped me the most um, in thinking about what does it mean to make disciples? What is this idea of discipleship? Discipleship, you can think of it this way. It's helping someone towards initial or deeper faith and spiritual maturity in following Jesus in the context of relationship. In the context of relationship, because this is done together. Discipleship isn't just hearing preaching. It's done through life uh, proximity and closeness. Another definition, related derivative, but, but maybe a different phrasing that might uh, allow different light bulbs to pop off in your mind. Uh, discipleship is doing spiritual good to others that helps them towards trusting, loving, and obeying Christ. Another way to think about this is discipleship is helping others follow Jesus. It's doing them spiritual good. It's a, a relationship where you teach, correct, model, and love. It's living the Christian life in front of others. Now, no, notice, notice in these definitions two words, two key words, helping and doing spiritual good. Helping. You, you notice that, that people are not prone uh, often to be helpful. Anyone notice that? <laughs> that there could, be, there could be something going wrong and you just notice how many people are like, well, all right, whatever. I remember, Corey, you told me the story about somebody fainting <laughs> during a presentation. Other people are like, well, I guess I can leave. <laughs> just like this person's laying on the ground like, I got a meeting, <laughs> right? So, so it's interesting that as humans made in God's image, we have this great capacity and tendency because we're made by God to do beautiful things, to do deeds of love, to, 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 to be gracious, to be helpful. But we also have this part of us because we're fractured by sin where we're like, a lot of times we're just not helpful. We're not helpful and we don't do good to others, right? Which then if we understand this as a definition of discipleship, we have to understand that underneath all of this, uh, underneath helping others to follow Jesus, underneath doing spiritual good to help others either come to Jesus or walk more deeply with Jesus, the, both of those are discipleship, the initial faith and the continued journey, both are a part of discipleship, that beneath this call to do spiritual good and to help others follow Jesus, beneath that is an engine that drives the whole car. And that engine is love. Listen, why would you help someone? Because you love them. Or because you want to look good. Why would you do spiritual good to someone? Why wouldn't you just be concerned about doing spiritual good for yourself? Because you love them. So driving the engine of discipleship is love. Love is the engine that drives the car that gets us on the path to do the work of making disciples. This is ultimately a love issue. 
the people that disciple and invest in others do that because they love others. But more than they love others, they love Jesus. And so when you love someone, you take their command very seriously. Jesus himself says this, if you love me, you will obey my commands. This is one of the clearest and most basic litmus tests for us to examine what our love for Jesus looks like in our lives at this particular moment. Do we do spiritual good to others? And maybe not only do we, but do we desire to? It's a great way to begin to measure and say, where where is my love for Jesus at this particular point and moment in my life? This helps us to understand that doing the work of discipleship and making disciples is actually not primarily about skill. Skill is not the most important thing to make disciples. Some of us, we, we, we think that, well, I don't know the answers to these questions, or like, I just, I don't even know if Hezekiah is a book of the Bible or not. Right? When, so, when someone says, turn to Mark, I look for a person in the room, not a, not a book in the Bible. How can I make disciples? I have my sin struggles. How can I make disciples? How can I do spiritual good to others when I can't even read the Bible during the week? We ask all, we, we, we're, we're so worried, and sometimes for, for good reason, right? We want to do well. We're so worried about our own skill, our own competency, our own knowledge, that we forget that the ultimate driving factor of making disciples is simply love. Think, think about this. Think, think about this for a moment. Jesus Christ unleashed a world movement by spending time with fishermen, extortionists, borderline terrorists, spent time with 12 of them and unleashed the world movement of Christianity. He was not dealing with great skill, great knowledge, great competence. So, So this really is not so much about knowledge, skill, competence, as much as it's about love. Think about the objections we have to making disciples. We we, we will say, I don't have the time. It's okay. Just use whatever time you have. We will say, well, well, who am I to to try to teach somebody about Jesus and say, I've only been following Jesus for two years and to say somebody come alongside and learn from me. Who are you? You're somebody Jesus told to make disciples. That's who you are. All of it comes down to love. I want you to think about the way we do things that we love. I want you to go uh, to YouTube. Actually, don't do this, um, but imagine that you did this. Imagine you go to YouTube and you just look at the... There are so many people on YouTube that are just in front of a camera with a guitar, uh, killing that poor guitar just killing that thing, uh, trying to play it in the name of love, in the name of their love for music. So they have no skill. They have no one to teach them. But they said, I got this guitar. I got YouTube. I'm going to watch videos of how people play, and then I'm going to play. I'm going to upload them. I don't care because I love this. But 
May we love people in Jesus enough to say the same thing about discipleship. Hey, I don't know everything, but I do know how I can help you. May we love like that. So discipleship, what then does it look like if it's not primarily driven by skill, by knowledge, by competence, but it is ultimately driven by love, though skill, knowledge, and competence are helpful and good things, it's driven by love uh, for Jesus, obedience to Jesus. What does it look like to do spiritual good to others? What does this actually look like? I think discipleship looks looks like this. Discipleship looks like Loving Christ and loving a person so much that you, you simply ask them regularly, how can I pray for you? And then pray for them on the spot. Discipleship looks like loving Christ and loving a person so much that you ask them, hey, come read a chapter of Scripture with me. Let's meet over coffee and let's read a chapter of Mark. Discipleship looks like loving Christ and a person so much that because you don't have any other time, you say, hey, why don't you come grocery shopping with me? And while we go grocery shopping, let's just talk and catch up. So that's the only time I have. But I love you and I want to do spiritual good and encourage you in your life. Discipleship looks like loving Christ in a person so much that you ask them to speak into your life. You say, hey, you have permission to correct me, to encourage me, and to pray for me, because I need some help. Discipleship looks like loving Christ in a person so much that you lead the way in sharing your weakness and your sin struggles, that they may feel the permission to do the same with you. So that together as peers, you can walk closer to Jesus side by side. Right? Discipleship looks like what happens upstairs. People giving hours of their time to teach scripture to children, to teach the gospel to children. It is a direct application of Jesus' command in this text. That's just what some, some of what discipleship can look like. We do a community Bible reading plan. Discipleship can look like saying, hey, are you doing CBR? You're doing it? Okay, cool. Or you're not? Start up. Hey, let's read this. Let's just meet and read the Bible and talk about it. Some of what discipleship can look like. You can disciple people and do spiritual good in their lives simply by asking questions and praying. You can also do spiritual good in someone's life by saying, hey, let's study Romans for the next 16 weeks and read one chapter a week, Monday mornings at 6 a.m. Right? Discipleship can be very structured or it can be very unstructured. It boils down to love. Love that produces initiative to say, I want to do spiritual good in your life to help you towards Jesus. Would you do the same for me? Maybe that's just something you need to say to somebody after this message. You need to go to somebody in your gospel. You need to go to a friend that follows Jesus and say, hey, I want us to grow in discipling one another and encouraging one another towards Jesus. Maybe that's, maybe that's a way for you to work, work this out. I don't know. But it boils down, ultimately, to love. What happens when we hear Jesus' call 
to make disciples and we begin to walk in obedience in that, what, what happens is that we begin to show off Jesus' worth as we give ourselves in obedience to a call that's not easy. Jesus' worth is shown off. People are helped as we give ourselves to this call. The last thing I want us to see is this. Jesus gives this call, but he sandwiches it uh, between two things, his authority, his command, and then he gives his promise. And behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. This shows us the goodness of Jesus because Jesus is giving us monumental work, but then he says, I'm going to be with you every single step of the way. I mean, I mean think, think about what type of leader and master and Lord Jesus is. Before he gives us a beautiful but challenging command, he bookends it with the reality that he has all authority, which quiets our fears, and then he gives the command and then bookends it with his presence. I'm going to be with you every single step of the way. Don't be afraid of what you're going to say. I'm with you. Don't, don't be scared. I'm with you. Don't be too nervous. I'm right here. One, one, one missionary even phrased this like this, that there's Christ in me by faith, Christ beside me, Christ in front of me, Christ behind me. Christ is all around me as I live to obey and honor him. Jesus is with us in this work. The other good news for us is, is this, is that when Jesus uh, at other points in the gospels commands his disciples to go and to preach, they go and preach with success. Matthew 10, he says, I give you authority to cast out demons. He gives you spiritual authority. And they come back and, and they come to him and they say, Jesus, yo, even the, the demons left. The demons went out of people's bodies. We were healing people, raising people from the dead. Like, it was crazy. They were excited about the impact they were having. But Jesus tells them, hey, you, you, like, you understand that's like small potatoes, right? You understand that's actually, not, that's actually not that big of a deal. And he says to them, rejoice rather that your names are written in the book of life. The disciples come back and they, they are excited. They're saying, look at the impact that we have. But Jesus' word to them is just don't worry about the impact that you have, but be excited and rejoice that I have you. The lesson for us is as we think about discipleship... We want to we be able to say, man, look at the people who, who have done spiritual good in their lives and look at how God has used that. Look at the people who've done that to me. We, we ought to want to have a genealogy that follows our name of like, look at all the people that I've invested in and that God has used those labors to produce something awesome in their life. That's great. But what we ought to really be excited about is the fact that Jesus Christ has us, that Jesus has come to make us his own. That is what excites us about disciple-making because we want others to experience the very same thing. We're not primarily concerned about the impact that we have, but rather rejoicing that Jesus has us, and out of this overflow that Jesus has us, we want others to have him. And so we rejoice not so much over our track record of results, but we rejoice over the fact that Jesus Christ had all authority on heaven and earth, and he left it to come be crucified for you and I. We rejoice that Jesus Christ had all authority with the Father and the Spirit in eternity, but he decided to lay that down and be obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross for our sins. 
We rejoice not over the fact that we make disciples so well, but that rather we are worthy to be called a disciple of Jesus, not by our merit, but by Jesus' blood and sacrifice on our behalf. We worship, we rejoice, we glory in Jesus and what he has done. And out of what he has done, we say, we want others to taste and see as well. This is why the engine that drives the car for discipleship is love. Love for Jesus, pouring out in love for others to know how good he is. This is why parents will give the efforts to try to read the Bible with children who are also trying to kick them in the face. (laughs) This is why you would pray prayers for your friends to know Jesus in tears, beating the floor, because you know that left uh, apart from God, there's no hope for them, just like there was no hope for you. This is why you would step out on a limb and say, hey, do you want to read scripture with me so we can just encourage one another when you're just awkward and nervous about being rejected by people? It's motivated by love for Jesus. And love for Jesus comes by seeing his love for us, which comes by looking square at the cross in its face and seeing what Christ did for us and receiving it by faith. Jesus was not playing when he commanded us to go and make disciples. Jesus was also not playing when he laid down his life for us. And so we grab hold of both of those things by faith, and we trust his promise. All authority is his, our sins are forgiven, and he is with us in the work. Let's pray. God, we praise you and thank you that you have sent your son to come for us, We thank you that, Jesus, you are willing to lay down your life for sinners. We thank you, Jesus, that you don't love us based on our discipleship track record of obedience, but that you love us infinitely by your grace. Jesus, thank you that where we have been wayward in following this command, you have grace for us still. And where we have been diligently obedient in following this command, that was only by your grace. And so we ask that you would motivate us by a love for you seen from tasting your love for us that would transform us into the people who want to do spiritual good for others. Jesus, would you produce this in us in a way that only you can. Do it for your glory, do it for our good, do it for the good of the people around us, that through you working in us, you would restore what was lost through sin, you would mend lives and souls and eternities through your gospel. We pray this in your powerful name. Amen. Would you all rise?